I think I'll preach today too. Good morning. I'm Steven. It's good to be in God's house. I, it's good to work together with Pastor Bob and uh, work through a series of messages that we've developed called Home for Christmas. You thought we just wanted to put a living room scene up on the stage, right? I wonder, in our congregation this morning, if you'd be honest with me, how many of you put the Christmas season, just the, I don't know how long you think Christmas season is, maybe for you it's like October 1st through March, I don't know, uh, but you put the Christmas season in your personal all-time favorite times of year category. How many of you, Christmas is just, it's it. You live for Christmas, okay? More people on, no, okay, a couple of you are still sleeping. How many of you? Raise your hands if Christmas is it, okay? There's a couple of excited people wearing Christmas sweaters back in the back. Awesome. We love, right, we love Christmas. Most of us love Christmas. There's a lot to love about Christmas. What are the things that we like most about Christmas? How many of you like Christmas food? There's food that no question you're going to have around Christmas time, and that's why you love Christmas. Yeah, some of you, okay, you're honest. Thank you for being honest. Uh, how many of you love Christmas music? We love the music of, oh man, yeah, a lot of us love the Christmas music. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud of our worship team and how they've developed and worked through uh, some songs and given new twists to old songs. It's just beautiful time of year. Uh, how many of you love, like me, Christmas lights? I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm like a moth drawn to the flame. Something about lights, I'm just like, oh, I love it. I, I, we don't do anything at our house outside, but uh, even our, our tree inside, uh, I got to tell, tell you a funny story. Um, a couple years ago, we, we're, we're, we're one of those families, I know, don't throw me out. We do a fake tree every year. Pre-lit, fake tree, we're cheaters. It's wonderful. Okay, a couple people who are with me. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, those of you who booed are now getting clapped over. I love it. I love Hyde Wesleyan Church. Um, we do a fake tree, and, and this year we started setting up the tree, and as we're putting it all together, the, the worst case scenario, you know what happens? You put it together and something doesn't work, and now they're so foolproof that you, there's nothing you can do about it except go back to Walmart or Lowe's and buy another one. I mean, that's how these things are developed, right? I, I'm pretty sure there's something written inside that if I have a bad attitude when we're setting up the Christmas tree, uh, it knows it and decides to not work right, right? So we set up our tree this week earlier, and we, and we kind of hid the, the lights that were not working around the back and tried to hide it. And then we had our life group, and the first thing I do is confess to our life group. We've got like four branches right there that aren't working. I don't know why I spoke it. I don't know why I said it. Uh, but thankfully, Sarah Climey is in our, our life group, and she said, hey, have you tried one of those light gun things? And I was like, no, that's something my dad told me about. That's a joke. That doesn't work. And she went, It works. So guess what I did on After Life Group? I went to Walmart and bought one, and guess what? It works. We have all lights. I, I love Christmas lights. Uh, we haven't really, since we moved here to Clearfield, gone uh, uh, to any of the big light displays. We've heard lots of great things and seen some great pictures from Lakemont, uh, but we haven't yet traveled down there to go see that light display. Uh, when we lived in Shippensburg, one of my favorite things around Christmas time was we had two locations each year that we had to go uh, as a family. One of the locations was a family that set up those uh, lights that go to music, and you turn your radio on, you find the station, and you just stand there and sit there in your car. And you're just like, this is amazing. And another place was like a, a place that you drove through. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I love a lot of what Christmas has to offer. And I would imagine, and I would hope, that many of you enjoy Christmas. 
There are things that we are annoyed about Christmas season, right? There there are things that happen around Christmas that annoy us, but I, I, I hope that even in the annoying, we can take time to be awed by the story, by the reality of what Christmas. Some of the things that annoy me about Christmas, the fact that there's only two lines at Walmart open during all of Christmas season. I mean, everybody's checking out and they can only open up to, we, we need to reach out to the management of Walmart and have them start attending Hyde Wesleyan Church so we can see something happen there, right? Some of the other annoying things, glitter on your Christmas cards, right? The kids want glitter on everything and they know how dad feels about glitter and so they want it even more. We have lines to wait in, travel, to plan, in-laws to visit, presents to buy, all these first world problems that we like to be a little bit overwhelmed by or we at least like to have our, our voice heard that we have these complaints, right, about Christmas. But I hope, like me, you love Christmas. But I think we need to admit this morning, I think we would all understand that there are probably some, even in our presence this morning, but there are at least neighbors or at least people in our families or at least people that we come in contact with, maybe we don't know uh, their whole story, but we know of people that would, in some fashion, wish that December would just come and go without the hubbub of Christmas at all. Maybe they've experienced something in their life that this season, this moment, just brings back too much emotional grief. Maybe the lights and the music and the stuff of Christmas just brings back uh, some things or, or, or brings into question all of their life completely. Who might these people be that aren't as holly and jolly as you and me at Christmas time? Maybe it's the single mom neighbor who can barely keep up with her rent, let alone set money aside for Christmas gifts for her kids. Maybe it's the senior citizen who lost the love of their life recently and no longer experiences the same wonder at Christmas time without their spouse. Maybe it's a daughter or a son of a recently deceased parent who notices that empty seat at the dining room table and continues to grieve the loss. Maybe it's a chronically depressed man or woman who sees smile and outward joy on the faces all around them while wondering deep within themselves why they can't seem to muster the strength to experience even a fraction of the same. I read a quote from a book entitled Lament for a Son. It's written by Nicholas Wolterstorff. He's a Christian thinker and a retired university professor, and he writes this quote in a book about the season of time where he and his wife got a call from authorities in Switzerland informing them that their 25-year-old son had perished in a climbing accident. In, In this book, he writes this quote about the difficulty in December and around other holidays for those who suffer loss. He writes this, The worst days are now holidays. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, birthdays, weddings, days meant as festivals of happiness and joy are now days of tears. The gap is too great between day and heart. Days of routine I can manage. No songs are expected. 
but how am I to sing in this desolate land when there's always one, two, few? Grief, especially around times of outward celebration, is something we need to acknowledge. Maybe it's in our neighbor's life. Maybe it's in the person sitting in front or, or, or behind us. Maybe it's in a family member's life. And maybe this morning it's in your life. Maybe there's grief in your heart this season. Grief over a, a loss of a loved one who won't be home for Christmas this year. Whomever it is, uh, we must all acknowledge the reality that grief is real and the, the ways we express and the ways we expect everyone to express themselves around the most joyous time of year is not necessarily the same for all people. So this morning, I want to ask, how do we cope with our grief? Especially around something like Christmas. How can we stand and sing joy to the world when maybe something in life recently or something coming up is going to cause us to take issue with even words such as those? I believe this morning for us as believers, Scripture gives us a reality check of how we can cope in a season filled with joy, with our own inward grief. And I believe this reality check is a reminder to you and me that in order for the good news to be good news, there's got to be some bad news, right? Uh, news is news. Um, a message is a message. It's neither good nor bad, but good news, a great message of great joy must mean that there's a need for the good. And if there is a need for the good, the opposite of the good is true, that things are bad, that there's bad news that needs good news. Look at, we, look at me, look with me at John chapter 14. Verses 1 through 6, you know this passage of Scripture. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. Listen as I read. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, may your words as they were spoken to your earliest disciples find more than a foothold in our lives, but may they consume us as disciples here today, which remind us that there is a home for us for this Christmas and all future Christmases. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I think it would do good for us and be helpful this morning if we had a quick history lesson to remind us 
of the setting of Jesus' birth. We, we have this unfortunate habit, I think, as Americans, as humans, as people who know the Christmas story, we, we kind of elevate Christmas to this fanciful uh, fantasy reality sometimes. We place it on this, this pedestal and we only talk about certain aspects of Christmas, all the, the fun and joy and excitement that comes, and we miss out on the reality of what Christmas is for us as believers if we don't look often, I think, at the bleak reality of what was going on in Jesus' time. This morning, I want to look at how dark and depressing and bleak, how oppressive things were at the time of Jesus' birth. I want to point out some of the historical reality at the time of Jesus' birth. The first thing I think we need to note is that there were 400 years of silence before Jesus entered in that stable room. 400 years of silence. The word of God had not been heard for four centuries. We talk often about the Old and New Testament, and you know in your Bible the Old Testament, and then there's a break, and then the the New Testament. Often we like to spend a lot of time in the New Testament, but the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. It was written around the fifth century before Christ. It concludes as a book with the statement that God would send a prophet like Elijah as a forerunner for the Messiah, But since that last promise, 400 years before Jesus, since that last promise, which would eventually be fulfilled in John the Baptist, God had literally been silent. Without the word of God present among them, without prophets speaking on God's behalf, without his word being bestowed upon his leaders, The people walked in spiritual darkness. Can you imagine? I mean, we go through seasons, I I, I think, in our own lives of uh, spiritual quietness, and we have issue, right? In our 80 or 90 years on this earth, if we have a couple of years in there where we feel like God is silent, we know that he's not and that we have turned our back on him. He's always speaking, amen? Amen. But can you imagine this in-between time before Jesus came, how, how quiet and dark? Can you imagine the generations in 400 years that had heard the stories of God and have allowed them over these centuries to simply become stories of great, 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 great grandma's God, great, 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 great grandpa's God? Silence from God in this in-between time caused a darkness upon the people of God. Another reality is that the Jewish people were enslaved. No, the, the nation of Israel was not still stuck in Babylon. It was not stuck in Egypt. It wasn't lost wandering in the desert. But in many ways, the children of Israel were still exiles in their own promised land. They were under the oppressive rule of Rome. This is evident in the birth story of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 records that the census taken up was by Caesar Augustus. This is a blatant reminder that the people of Israel were owned, ruled, governed by someone other. Likewise, Herod, a descendant of Edom, ruled in Jerusalem during that time. Long gone were the days of a king from the line of David. 
And much like we see in some of our cities today, soldiers are walking around the streets of Jerusalem. They were Roman guards called to police the city of David. Even their own temple, the Jewish temple, was built by a foreigner, Herod the Great. Political darkness was the reality at the time of Jesus' birth. Third, nation, the nation of Israel was at war from within. There were four groups in Israel that sought and fought to lead the Jewish people. We know them as the Pharisees. These were those who resided there in Jerusalem. They attempted to shape religious life in Israel through tradition. Remember, as Jesus' ministry took place, he had many run-ins with these leaders. They were leading people astray, leading them far from God by causing them grief. We know of the Sadducees. These were those who opposed the strict traditional legalism of the Pharisees, and they only embraced the Mosaic law especially the Ten Commandments. They would be the group who rejected the resurrection. They would be the group who rejected a belief in angels. They would be those who had an influential place in the temple courts and law. There's another group of people less spoken of. They're the Essenes. They lived together a far way away from the rest of people in their own commune. These would be the people who were the scribes who penned what we know today to be the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they lived an especially pure life. They devoted themselves to God and prayed fervently that God would overthrow the Roman government. The fourth group of people causing havoc within the Jewish community were the zealots. These were a band of brothers, it could be said, who did not pray for change as much as they sought violent means of bringing change and overthrowing, overthrowing the Roman rule. The result of these four competing groups in Judaism led to constant friction, only increased by the oppressive rule of Rome. Riots were common at this time. Tensions were never-ending Darkness filled Israel. And the broken reality of the state of things for the nation of Israel wasn't the only darkness that permeates the story in this time of Jesus coming to earth. We talk often of a few other highlighted realities, the negatives that surround the story of Jesus' birth. We know them. Remember that Mary, his mother, is a virgin. Man, we sing beautiful songs and we see wonderful artwork and we claim this as one of our beliefs. But can you imagine the reality of this part of the story? Before tabloids, before social media, before text messages, can you imagine the word of mouth that was going around in both Mary and Joseph's families about this reality that young Mary was pregnant, she was showing, Joseph Wanted, we know it in scripture, he wanted to put her away quietly. He wanted to do the right thing. And an angel spoke to both of them, declaring the truth of who God was and who this baby would be. There's enough going on, word of mouth, that both of their families would have tried interventions, no doubt. And yet, Mary and Joseph make the trip to Bethlehem. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine the supposed infidelity in their relationship? All the finger pointing, all of the people talking, all of the negatives about their relationship. We know too that Joseph and Mary are poor refugees. Luke chapter two, verse seven records that there's no place for them in the inn. Remember that part of the story? We sometimes act it out in a funny way where the innkeeper says, nope, I'm full, no place for you. What if there was no place in the, no room in the inn for them because they were of meager means? Joseph is a carpenter. Chances are things were full, but you know, and I know, that if you have money, things can be bought. Money talks, doesn't it? But here in our story, Joseph and Mary are sent to the very meager stable to spend the night. And it's there. Jesus is born. These foreigners in a distant land with nothing to give. It's a dark part of their story. How about the trip to Bethlehem? It's not an easy trip. Living in Nazareth, Mary and Joseph lived more than 100 miles north of Bethlehem, yet there was no way around it. They were legally required to make this grueling trip. Without highways, without rest areas, without cruise control, Climate control, they were forced to make this journey over dangerous hills and hazardous streams. And while we celebrate the story today, this pilgrimage, we're excited about what took place in this story, we need to remember that this was a long, dark walk. Maybe most darkening in the story of Jesus' birth is that his life was threatened constantly. Jesus' life, Matthew chapter 2, records these details. These details. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 say this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Not a good guy. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. My controller just stopped working. It only happens to Pastor Bob. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. We know the rest of the story. Herod is a paranoid leader. So paranoid, in fact, that even those in his family were killed, some of them, because he was afraid they would overthrow his leadership. Here in Matthew, we read of his attempts to use astrologers from the east to lead him to the Christ child, not so that he could worship him, but so that he could exterminate this potential challenge. And we know the rest of the story. When Herod learns that these wise men have not come 
complied with his scheming plan, he simply orders the execution of all boys in and around Bethlehem. Verse 16 tells us the rest of that story. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Things were pretty dark, yeah? Not a lot of glitter and tinsel and ornaments and lights. It's a dark season. It's bad news for people, for humanity, for the Jewish people, for the children of Israel. 400 years of quiet around Jesus' story. There's darkness. His life is threatened even at his birth. Isn't it dark today? Don't we have a lot in common with the darkness of that time? Here we are in the 21st century, exalting and elevating the story of Christmas. The reality of Jesus' birth is not so clean, exciting, or fancy. The reality is that things then and things now are pretty dark. How about wars and rumors of wars everywhere we look? Violence and poverty, malice, anger, hatred, murder, infidelity selfishness, hypocrisy, slander, idolatry, all of these are the norm. This is the reality today as a world. This is the darkness that permeates our culture, our neighborhoods, our families, our cities, our landscape. On a worldwide scale, things are dark. And things are dark too on a personal level, in many hearts and lives. I read a story this week about a mother who took her four-year-old daughter to the local library. Her little daughter babbled softly as the mother browsed through books. And at one point, an older man there in the library spoke gruffly to her and said, tell that kid to shut up or I will. The mom was stunned and angry. And she replied, I am very sorry. Or whatever in your life caused you to be so disturbed by a happy baby. But I will not tell my baby to shut up, and I will not let you do so either. She fearfully expected that the man would speak even more harshly to her. But he just looked down, took a deep breath, and softly apologized. His eyes, in that moment, filled up with tears And finally, he looked at the little girl, and she smiled at him and happily kicked her arms and legs. He wiped his eyes and said slowly, my son died when he was two months old. The mother then sat down in a chair next to the man and heard him explain that his son had died from sudden infant death syndrome over 50 years before. And after the boy's death, the man's life was consumed with anger And it led to divorce, isolation, and bitterness. The mother asked the man to tell her about his son. And as he talked, he kept smiling at the four-month-old daughter. Eventually, he even asked to hold the young girl. And when he did, his shoulders relaxed, and briefly, he laid his cheek on her little head. He handed the infant back to his mother and said, to her mother and said, thank you. The woman thanked him for sharing his story, and they parted ways. When the very real grief we experience in this life is left unaddressed, untalked about, 
It can no doubt cause an effect that will last and affect our lives for years. The man in this story lived in this darkness, in this brokenness for 50 years. Many of you know the pain and the reality that losing someone precious to us will always be an overwhelmingly difficult experience. This past week, on November 30th, my older sister, Stacia, turned 39 years old. Stacia has not been on this earth since 1990. Some of you know our story, my story as a kid, just about to turn 11 years old and my 12-year-old sister left this earth due to cancer and entered her eternal dwelling place. It had a profound effect on me as a young man. It has a profound effect on me today. And you know, you can imagine some of you have lived the experience of what that does to a family. And I can tell you that there were times when we would get close to Christmas that I wondered if our family would even celebrate Christmas outside of church because of the grief that empty seat brought to our family. I don't know, except Jesus, how my parents made it through. I don't know how people in our world, our neighbors, our loved ones, make it through any level of grief without the hope and light of Jesus. Grief is very real. This man's story, my story, your family's story, all of those stories of grief and reality of loss, all of the darkness that is upon us as humanity is very real. But Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus knew that death death and grief was difficult. Do you remember what was going on just before our passage today in John chapter 14? Jesus is having dinner with his disciples in the upper room on the night he would be betrayed. And he had a bowl of water and a towel and he begins to wash the feet of each of them. His words that evening are deliberate and spoken in love. He knew what would happen over the next hours. He knew that those closest to him would experience the sudden darkness that grief brings. So after the foot washing, he announces to them that he would be leaving them. Can you imagine the shock in the disciples who believed this could be the Messiah? This could be the one who would overthrow this Roman government and he wants us to be a part of it. The first few verses of John 14 were his reminder to them and to us today. His deliberate words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you when everything is ready? I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Let's be clear 
together this morning. That darkness, that grief, that loss are very real. And that our expressions of what we enjoy about Christmas time are not necessarily received by all the same way. There are seasons of grief, there are lifetimes of grief in many different levels. But can we also be in agreement that those of us who are in Christ Jesus have a hope that surpasses all grief? I'm happy to report to you that my mom and dad love Christmas. My dad is portraying our Santa Claus in two weeks. They love celebrating Christmas. Is there still emotion as we gather together as a family without my sister? You betcha. I am so thankful to have been raised in a family that put Jesus Christ first and truly believed on a family level that he was the hope. He is the hope. And now I have a chance to be a dad, to raise a family that believes the same, to portray in my personal life and in my public life that Jesus Christ is the only hope not just for the Sheets family, not just for the Hyde Wesleyan Church, but Jesus himself said he is the hope of the world. He is the only way to come to the Father. And that's the good news we have today for a world overcome, stuck in darkness and in bad news. Would you bow your heads with me? There is a place in heaven for all who by faith put their trust fully in Jesus Christ. This good news, this light crushes the darkness. The light of Jesus crushes all darkness. I hope as you sit here today that you have chosen to live in that light. No matter your circumstance, no matter your experience, no matter how dark your darkness, your grief, your loss is, my prayer for us today is that we collectively, individually, personally, corporately have chosen to live in the light of Jesus Christ. It's also our desire as a church to remind ourselves often that the good news that has transformed our lives as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as his followers, cannot stay in these walls. The good news of Jesus Christ, the light of Christmas, the hope for the world is for us to go tell on a mountain for goodness sakes. My prayer is that we would continue to find ways as a church and as people 
to declare boldly the love we have for the transformation giving Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord God, there are likely those here, even this morning, suffering in darkness, grieving alone, grieving with others, but grieving nonetheless. Lord, I just pray that even in this moment of closing in our service today, that your Holy Spirit would nudge and remind and brighten even the darkest of despair today. And Lord, I pray that you would do that in this moment for those who are present and for each of us who have expressed the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Would you renew that in us and help us to reflect it beyond the walls of this place, at work, at school, in our homes, wherever we find ourselves, even this afternoon, would you, Lord, use us to be bright beacons of your hope for this dark world. Thank you for the connection we have with the brokenness, the reality that was at Jesus' time and the broken reality that is our time today. We proclaim as those who believed did then, our Emmanuel has come. Thank you for the words of Jesus that encourage our hearts that there is a place, there is a hope, there is a home for Christmas. Lord, I pray that by our ministry, by our efforts in our relationships, that many would come to faith in Jesus Christ and experience an opportunity to come home, to go home for Christmas. Would you fill our hearts with your spirit? Would your gospel permeate, infiltrate our hearts? Would you speak to even the one this morning, Lord, who may be searching? And would you allow salvation to enter a life a family, a community, and transform eternity. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be standed, maybe standed. <laughs> you may stand and be dismissed. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim boldly his love for the world.